Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series entitled Pillars, a term that's rarely used in the New Testament, but wherever it is, it stands for the support of the truth for the glory of God. We'll be using the term in the same way that the Apostle Paul does in Galatians chapter 2 in referring to faithful men who were esteemed as those holding up the truth of the gospel like a bright light for all to see. Well, this morning we'll be hearing from Phil Ketela with an examination of Job as one of those pillars. Thanks for listening. If you look at the front of your bulletin, you'll see we're starting a brand new series today. It's entitled Pillars. There's only a, a handful of times that that word is used in the New Testament. To be a pillar is to be one that upholds something. It's in Galatians chapter 2 that we see three individuals referenced as pillars. James, who was the the main pastor in Jerusalem, Peter, and then John. They are reputed as pillars. These pillars of the church are those of whom we look to. And throughout the New Testament and throughout the Old Testament, we have individuals who serve as beacons so that we can learn both from their successes and from their failures. And so we're going to be in this series for a couple of weeks. Um, Phil is going to come now uh, and he's going to share with you how God has been leading him to a particular pillar in the Old Testament dealing on this topic of suffering. Will you please welcome Phil as he comes this morning? Thanks, Pastor Ryan. And good morning to everyone on this windy Labor Day weekend. Um, It's amazing how the Holy Spirit works that uh, some of my scripture readings are exactly what uh, Tom read earlier. And it's just uh, just amazing how it all works through uh, the common thread of of the Word, of God's Word. Um, Let me open in prayer, please, and we bow our heads. Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, we thank you for all your many, many blessings. We thank you for uh, this day, for the beautiful weather, and even the weather that uh, might not be so beautiful to us at times. Uh, we know that you have control of it all. And we, uh, we just pray, Lord, that uh, no matter what uh, suffering we might encounter in our lives, that we would always, always keep Jesus, as the song is saying, Keep Jesus at the center of our lives, Lord. And look to Him, to His uh, resurrected body for our new life to come in the new heavens and earth. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, a uh, question for you ladies. First off, you men are going to get next, but uh, have you ever. Uh, had a special pair of earrings that you uh, maybe wore for Easter or something, and Easter comes along and you uh, you start looking for them and you can't find them. You look high and low, and you always say, uh, "God only knows where I put those earrings." Or guys, how about them truck keys that got legs on them? Yeah, you wonder, uh, God only knows where I put those keys. And kids, they're all back, I guess, but kids uh, bring home their report cards and 
they give it to the parents and the parents are all set to look at them and they're gonna say, okay, already look at all these C's and maybe a D in there. And all of a sudden they got an A and some D's and, and the parent says, uh, God only knows where that kid got his smarts from. <laughs> we all have uh, those God only knows moments and I'm sure uh, we uh, can only bring it up to him. Who here has lost their job unexpectedly or had their hours reduced for one reason or another and subsequently can't pay their bills? Or who here has had problems in their marriage with no end in sight? Who here has had a child turn from the ways of God into the worldly, fleshly ways and we can find no way to stop them or help them? Who here has had a loved one or yourself get a call from a doctor with that cancer word or some other serious health issue that the doctors can't explain and who here has lost a precious loved one way too early in life way too soon i could go on with the problems that we face in the world with terrorism violence and poverty especially in africa and then there's <clears throat> then there's the fires out west and the hurricanes down south and I haven't even mentioned that word we're so familiar with nowadays, and I'm not going to, but I guess I better say COVID. We all get circumstances put upon us that we have no control over. I remember when I was 52 years old, after working for 29 years, all of a sudden I was out of work, unemployed, and not sure of where my next job was going to be coming from. Then five years later, I was diagnosed with, <clears throat> diagnosed with Lyme disease, and uh, I can only say that's a, a disease that just can debilitate you in such physical and mental ways that uh, you kind of feel like you're in extreme anguish at times. And what's that old adage that life is 10% uh, what it gives you and 90% of how you react to it? There are people in the Bible who have suffered in numerous ways and held on during it all because of their faith. And we call these people the pillars of faith. And Job is one such man that we read about in a book named after him. Job's story is believed, is believed to be one of the first books of the Bible to be recorded. And as such, I believe that God intended for suffering to be in one of the first books because it is such a big part of life. Let me repeat that because it's so important. Suffering is a big part of life. And this will be one of our first of three observations from the book of Job. I'm going to try and read something here. My papers don't blow away, but in Job, I'm going to go to chapter 1, verse 1. Verses 1 through 5, it says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat with them and drink with them. And when a period of fasting, feasting, I'm sorry, had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. 
Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. It's believed that Job lived sometime around 2000 BC, during the time of the patriarchs like Abraham, and he lived in the land of Uz, which is believed to have been located east of the Jordan River, near Canaan, or Israel. He must have been a man who feared God as he would perform the rituals mentioned for his children, and he thought perhaps they had sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job was obviously a wise and smart businessman because of all the wealth he had accumulated. Plus, he was a man respected in the region and in his community. Most importantly, Job loved God and lived to honor God by all he did in his life. In his work ethic and his dealings with people, he exemplified God, and I believe people respected him for it. They, uh, when Job spoke, people listened. If you could choose one word to describe Job, I believe you could use the word integrity. He was honest, fair, blameless, without corruption. He couldn't be bought, you might say. And he stood on godly principles and lived by those principles. So you might say that he had a target on his back, and we'll learn about that later. Some people think that just because you're a Christian, nothing bad will happen to you. Uh, obviously, that's not true. It may be easy to praise God when you have a good financial job, lots of toys in your yard. Life is good. And sit back and enjoy. But how do we worship God when you lose your job because of the ongoing health issue that has forced you to sell everything and you still can't afford a one-room apartment for your family of five? Will we still praise his name? I know more than once when worshiping God and giving him the glory was the farthest thing from my mind. When I got my uh, Lyme disease, that was not certainly something I praised God about. And when my, uh, my son lost his wife at age 41 to cancer, um, and left him with two girls, ages eight and 11, um, I know I didn't, uh, I didn't praise God for that. A good friend of mine, a good friend once said, security is not our distance from danger, but our nearness to God. Security is not our distance, how far away we are from danger, but how close and how, how much is Jesus centered in our lives. Let me say this loud and clear so we can understand and, and hear that if you're saved, if you're redeemed because of what Jesus has done for your life, if you've confessed sin and repented of it, and because of your belief in Jesus' sacrifice and death and resurrection, then, because you've been redeemed, you have been saved from the worst possible hurt and suffering you could encounter anything on this earth. You'll be able to see Jesus again in eternity. And for any that have not 
confess Jesus is the Lord. Please find someone that can explain all of Jesus' love for you and what he's done for you. It's amazing. So Job is living his life and enjoying it all and everything's going along real smooth. But he's unaware of this heavenly counsel between God and his angels and Satan. And this confrontation is what first intrigued me about the book of Job. Is, you know, what, what is Satan doing before God? It just seems strange. It doesn't seem right. But I know uh, that, that'll take at least a couple of Wednesday Bible studies with Pastor Ryan to, to dig into that and figure out. But what it does show is that God is in control of everything, in control of the physical and the spiritual, because he made it all. And this would be our second observation from our text, that God is in, God is in control of everything. Let me repeat that, God is in control of everything. In Genesis chapter two, starting in verse four, it tells us that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So here's one of those uh, Holy Spirit moments of scripture. So let's try to always remember who is the potter and who is the clay. After their meeting, God tells Satan, very well then, everything Job he has, everything that Job is in your hands, but on the man do not lay a finger. And as we read in Job 1, 13 through 19, the storms of Job's life begin and they're in rapid fire. And I'd like to read them because of how it plays out. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Quite the calamities to come all at once for Job. I think if that would happen to me, I probably would have, if I had a chance after the first episode, I probably would have been angry. But uh, Job doesn't have time because uh, the calamities just keep coming one after another. The reports of heartache and loss. And I wonder if I wouldn't have just been numb and in shock and just, uh, you know, just sitting there. But what does Job do? He worships God. I should have kept my spot there. 
Let me read what Job does. In chapter 1, verses 20, 20 to 22. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did no sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I once heard a very wise pastor say, you might know him, true worship comes through suffering. And in saying this, he's not implicating that unless you are suffering, then you are not truly worshiping, but rather the worship that is given to God during suffering is done because you have gained wisdom. You have learned that even though we have been taught to avoid pain and avoid suffering, it is only in suffering that we fully realize what really matters, and that is to revere to call out to the one who understands our suffering. Thus Job, a man who feared God, and as we know, that when we fear the Lord, it is the beginning of wisdom, Job worships God. May we trust in Jesus while we suffer, because he has suffered on earth for us, just as we suffer. So obviously Job has a strong foundation for the Lord. And notice that word, the Lord. We heard it last week, didn't we, from Pastor Ryan. The Lord. May the name of the Lord be praised, Job says. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And all this Job did not sin. His foundation is firm, just as Pastor Ryan spoke of last week in Luke 6, verses 46 and 48. When the storms came, Job's foundation was firm. It was built on the foundation that God is sovereign and in control. Job has put God into his life. He has lived and practiced God in his life prior to the storm. So what does God do next? He allows Satan to give Job a second storm by afflicting him with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Ouch. I've had shingles, and they lasted for about six to seven days, and I thought I was in deep anguish, but I think uh, th that would compare nothing with what Job had done, or had to put up with. And after this second test, Job still maintains his integrity by not sinning or cursing God. But next he gets a test from his three friends, supposed friends, and that'll push him to the limit. For the, for the next 36 chapters, which I won't read for you because Marvin has to get going, I'm sure. <laughs> there you go. For the next 36 chapters of Job, the three friends that initially came to console him, they accuse him of unconfessed sin. And during this time of his three friends questioning his integrity, in the middle of the book of Job, Job makes a statement to me that I read past numerous times but now realize that uh, it's a pretty rich and unbelievable statement that he made at that time 
And it can only come because of Job's close relationship with God. In Job 19, verses 25 through 27, I'll let you get there because it is pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Job 19, verses 25 through 27, we read, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Job has faith that in the end God will take care of him and he will see God. This is our third observation from the book of Job. So let me repeat that again. Job has faith that in the end God will take care of him and he will see God. What an amazing vision of his that speaks of the resurrection of the body. Already, in what is considered one of their first recorded books of the Bible, we hear of resurrection and also of Jesus, because Job says there is one who will stand by him and defend him, redeem him in his case. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 16 through 23, I'm going to read this. It speaks of hope that we have nowadays. Open our resurrection through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 to 23. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Pretty amazing, pretty amazing that God, or that Job, has this kind of insight and shows his understanding of a grace, grace-filled God. That amazing grace. Job continues to plead his innocence, and mainly what he has, what he wants, is a counsel with God to find out what he has done wrong. You ever get them times where you get what you wish for? This is one of those times that Job gets something you wish for. God shows up. But first, God has a few questions for Job. In chapter 38 of Job, God shows up and he has some questions for him, for Job. Chapter 38, I'm just going to read 1 through 11. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? 
On what were footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. God wants to know if Job knows all about creation. How it all began and how did it get into place? Surely he must know since he's asking for counsel with the Almighty. And did you notice something there in God's response? I, I had missed it at first. In God's response to Job, it shows that he was listening to Job the whole time. God was always there with Job in his suffering. He is always with us, especially in our suffering. And Job gets it now by the way he answers God. He pretty much says, I should keep my mouth shut. I put my foot in my mouth. I'm not going to speak anymore. I am disgusted with myself and I ask for your forgiveness. And in the end, God forgives Job and restores his wealth twofold from what he had before. And God gives him a family again and restores his position in the community. So what can we conclude from Job's story then? Here are three things I believe we can apply and carry with us. First, we need to remember God's power and wisdom is infinitely beyond ours. God's wisdom and power is infinitely beyond ours. Remember that. Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Job knew that God's ways were not like his, as he stated in chapter 1. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. The second uh, conclusion is that suffering is going to come upon us as Christians. Let me repeat that. Suffering is going to come upon us as Christians. Here's the second place where the Holy Spirit works because uh, I had picked 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 9 just as Tom had spoke earlier there. But I'm going to read it again because I think it's uh, pretty applicable and meant for us to hear. The wind might blow me away. 1 Peter 4 verses 12 through 19 Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief, or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. 
However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19 of early life. So then, those who suffer according to God's will, let me say that again, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. We suffer because Jesus suffered for us on the cross. Remember that it was the Spirit who led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And thirdly, the third conclusion, we need to turn to God in faith, especially in tough times. Let me just repeat that again. We need to turn to God in faith, especially in tough times. Pray to God for strength during the trial and for insight of what he is trying to show you in your time of distress. Ask him to reveal any unconfessed sins so you, so you can repent of it. And just as Job worshiped the Lord by stating, may the name of the Lord be praised, we need to worship him and remember his truths and promises we have in the Bible. I, uh, myself, I, I've got a few of them, but the one I really love is Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah writes that, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let me leave you with two thoughts. First, God only knows, right? God only knows and always knows the why in our suffering. Second, may we always remember the how, the how in our suffering. And that is to look and praise Him. Praise His holy name and a better end. <laughs> Let me close in prayer real quick. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for uh, the wind, for the little kids, for all your many blessings. We just ask, Lord, that uh, your uh, your presence, that we always would feel your presence in whatever we're going through. And let us know that you are God. You are in control. You love us. And that Jesus has already paid the price. He has suffered on this earth just as we suffer so we can turn to him. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for all your many blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.